You're listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Available now from Redfield Arts Audio. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial of his approach. Bah, said Scrooge. Humbug. Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that. I am who sure. are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart! It's Fezziwig alive again! Come in! Come in and know me better, man! I am the ghost of Christmas present! Look upon me! As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley and, lifting up his eyes, beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens As told by Mark Redfield Music and sound design by Jennifer Rouse From Redfield Arts Audio This is where Thanksgiving really begins, isn't it? Well, now, if you're referring to the aroma of roast turkey, I can put a... I've got plenty to be thankful for I haven't got a great big yacht To sail from shore to shore Still I've got plenty to be thankful for O. Henry's two Thanksgiving Day Gentlemen As told by Mark Redfield There is one day that is ours There is one day when all we Americans who are not self-made go back to the old home to eat Celeritas biscuits and marvel how much nearer to the porch the old pump looks than it used to. Bless the day. President Roosevelt gives it to us. We hear some talk of the Puritans, but don't just remember who they were. Bet we can lick them anyhow if they try to land again. Plymouth Rocks, well, that sounds more familiar. Lots of us had come down to hens since the turkey trust got its work in, but somebody in Washington is leaking out advance information to them about these Thanksgiving proclamations. The big city east of the Cranberry Bogs has made Thanksgiving Day an institution. The last Thursday in November is the only day of the year on which it recognizes the part of America lying across the ferries. It is the one day that is purely American. Yes, a day of celebration, exclusively American. And now, for the story which is to prove to you that we have traditions on this side of the ocean that are becoming older at a much rapider rate than those of England are, thanks to our get-up and enterprise. Stuffy Pete took his seat on the third bench to the right as you enter Union Square from the east at the walk opposite the fountain. Every Thanksgiving day, for nine years, he had taken his seat there promptly at one o'clock. But every time he had done so, things had happened to him. Charles Dickensy things that swelled his waistcoat above his heart and equally on the other side. But today, Stuffy Pete's appearance at the annual trysting place seemed to have been rather the result of habit 
than of the yearly hunger which, as the philanthropists seem to think, afflicts the poor at such extended intervals. Certainly Pete was not hungry. He had just come from a feast that had left him of his powers barely those of respiration and locomotion. His eyes were like two pale gooseberries, firmly embedded in a swollen and gravy-smeared mask of putty. His breath came in short wheezes, a senatorial roll of andy-posed tissue denied a fashionable set to his upturned coat collar. Buttons that had been sewed upon his clothes by kind salvation fingers a week before flew like popcorn, strewing the earth around him. Ragged he was, with a split shirt front open to the wishbone. But the November breeze carrying fine snowflakes brought him only a grateful coolness. For Stuffy Pete was overcharged with the caloric produced by a super bountiful dinner, beginning with oysters and ending with plum pudding, and including, it seemed to him, all the roast turkey and baked potatoes and chicken salad and squash pie and ice cream in the world. Therefore, he sat, gorged, and gazed upon the world with after-dinner contempt. The meal had been an unexpected one. He was passing a red-brick mansion near the beginning of Fifth Avenue, in which lived two old ladies of ancient family and a reverence for traditions. They even denied the existence of New York and believed that Thanksgiving Day was declared solely for Washington Square. One of their traditional habits was to station a servant at the posting gate with orders to admit the first hungry wayfarer that come along after the hour of noon had struck and banquet him to a finish. Stuffy Pete happened to pass by on his way to the park, and the Shenessels gathered him in and upheld the custom of the castle. After Stuffy Pete had gazed straight before him for ten minutes, he was conscious of a desire for a more varied field of vision. With a tremendous effort, he moved his head slowly to the left, and then his eyes bulged out fearfully, and his breath ceased, and the rough-shod ends of his short legs wiggled and rustled on the gravel. For the old gentleman was coming across Fourth Avenue toward his bench. Every Thanksgiving day for nine years, the old gentleman had come there and found Stuffy Pete on his bench. That was a thing that the old gentleman was trying to make a tradition of. Every Thanksgiving day for nine years, he had found Stuffy there and had led him to a restaurant and watched him eat a big dinner. They do those things in England unconsciously, but this is a young country and nine years is not so bad. The old gentleman was a staunch American patriot and considered himself a pioneer in American tradition. In order to become picturesque, we must keep on doing one thing for a long time without ever letting it get away from us, something like collecting the weekly dimes in industrial insurance or uh, cleaning the streets. The old gentleman moved straight and stately toward the institution that he was rearing. Truly, the annual feeding of Stuffy Pete was nothing national in its character, such as the uh, Magna Carta or jam for breakfast was in England. But it was a step. It was almost futile. It showed at least that a custom was not impossible to New York, uh, <clears throat> America. The old gentleman was thin and tall and 60. He was dressed all in black and wore the old-fashioned kind of glasses that won't stay on your nose. His hair was whiter and thinner than it had been last year, 
and he seemed to make more use of his big knobby cane with the crooked handle. As his established benefactor came up, Stuffy wheezed and shuddered like some woman's overfat pug when a street dog bristles up at him. He should have flown, but all the skill of Santos Dumont could not have separated him from his bench. Well had the myrmidons of the two old ladies done their work. Good morning, said the old gentleman. I am glad to perceive that the vicissitudes of another year have spared you to move in health about the beautiful world. For the blessing alone, this day of thanksgiving is well proclaimed to each of us. If you will come with me, my man, I will provide you with a dinner that should make your physical being accord with the mental. That is what the old gentleman said every time. Every Thanksgiving day for nine years. The words themselves almost formed an institution. Nothing could be compared with them except the Declaration of Independence. Always before they had been music in Stuffy's ears. But now he looked up at the old gentleman's face with tearful agony in his own. The fine snow almost sizzled when it fell upon his perspiring brow, but the old gentleman shivered a little and turned his back to the wind. Stuffy had always wondered why the old gentleman spoke his speech rather sadly. He did not know that it was because he was wishing every time that he had a son to succeed him, a son who would come there after he was gone, a son who would stand proud and strong before some subsequent Stuffy and say, in memory of my father, then it would be an institution. But the old gentleman had no relatives. He lived in rented rooms in one of the decayed old family brownstone mansions in one of the quiet streets east of the park. In the winter, he raised fuchsias in a little conservatory the size of a steamer trunk. In the spring, he walked in the Easter parade. In the summer, he lived in a farmhouse in the New Jersey Hills and sat in a wicker armchair speaking of a butterfly that he had hoped to find one day. In the autumn, he fed Stuffy a dinner. These were the old gentleman's occupations. Stuffy Pete looked up at him for half a minute, stewing and helpless in his own self-pity. The old gentleman's eyes were bright with the giving pleasure. His face was getting more lined each year, but his little black necktie was in as jaunty a bow as ever, and the linen was beautiful and white, and his gray mustache was curled carefully at the ends. And then Stuffy made a noise that sounded like peas bubbling in a pot. Speech was intended, and as the old gentleman had heard the sounds nine times before, he rightly construed them into Stuffy's old formula of acceptance. Thank you, sir. I'll go with you. Much obliged. I'm very hungry, sir. The old gentleman led his annual protege southward to the restaurant and to the table where the feast had always occurred. They were recognized. Here comes the old guy, said a waiter, that blows that same bum to a meal every Thanksgiving. The old gentleman sat across the table, glowing like a smoked pearl at his cornerstone of future ancient tradition. The waiters heaped the table with holiday food, and Stuffy, with a sigh that was mistaken for hunger's expression, raised knife and fork and carved for himself a crown of imperishable bay. 
No more valiant hero ever fought his way through the ranks of an enemy. Turkey, chops, soups, vegetables, pies disappeared before him as fast as they could be served. Gorged nearly to the utmost when he entered the restaurant, the smell of food had almost caused him to lose his honor as a gentleman, but he rallied like a true knight. He saw the look of beneficent happiness on the old gentleman's face, a happier look that even the fuchsias and the butterfly had ever brought to it, and he had not the heart to see it wane. In an hour, Stuffy leaned back with a battle won. Thank you kindly, sir, he puffed like a leaky steam pipe. Thank you kindly for a hearty meal. Then he arose heavily with glazed eyes and started toward the kitchen. A waiter turned him about like a top and pointed him to the door. The old gentleman carefully counted out a dollar thirty in silver change, leaving three nickels for the waiter. They parted, as they did each year at the door, the old gentleman going south, Stuffy north. Around the first corner, Stuffy turned and stood for one minute. Then he seemed to puff out his rags as an owl puffs out his feathers and fell to the sidewalk like a sun-stricken horse. When the ambulance came, the young surgeon and the driver cursed softly at his weight. There was no smell of whiskey to justify a transfer to the patrol wagon, so Stuffy and his two dinners went to the hospital. There they stretched him on a bed and began to test him for strange diseases with the hope of getting a chance at some problem with the Bastille. And lo, an hour later, another ambulance brought the old gentleman, and they laid him on another bed and spoke of appendicitis, for he looked good for the bill. But pretty soon, one of the young doctors met one of the young nurses, whose eyes he liked, and stopped to chat with her about the cases. That nice old gentleman over there now, he said. You wouldn't think that was a case of almost starvation. Proud old family, I guess. He told me he hadn't eaten a thing for three days. Any time is turkey time. But when you have a luscious roasted turkey like this one on your table, then it's carving time. Redfield Arts Audio. London at Christmas time. I had called upon my friend Sherlock Holmes upon the second morning after Christmas. Ah, a happy Christmas, Mrs. Hudson. Oh, Dr. Watson. Sherlock Holmes and the Blue Carbuncle. Adapted from the story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I've had enough of you and your geese. I wish you were all at the devil together. If you come pissed any more with your silly talk, I'll set the dog on you. Starring Mark Redfield as Sherlock Holmes, J.R. Liston as Dr. Watson, and Carol Mason as Mrs. Hudson. You, sir. What do you want? You will excuse me, but I could not help overhearing the questions which you put to the salesman just now. I think that I could be of assistance to you. How could you know anything of the matter? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and it is my business to know what other people don't know. You know nothing about it. Excuse me. 
I know everything of it. Available now on Audible and other online audio retailers. And here's to a happy new year, my old friend. Redfield Arts Audio. Redfield Arts Audio presents Mark Wheatley's Frankenstein Mobster. The most amazing story of crime ever told. Starring Daniel Roebuck. You, Twitch Randall, and Hyde. He did it right here. You murdered me. Debbie Rashawn. My name is Terry Todd, Detective Terry Todd. My father was a good man, a good cop. And Mark Redfield. Quiet, Smiley. We don't sell talismans in the dead end, no matter what they'll pay. You don't want any monsters to reap talisman benefits, now do we, son? Monstro City, where monsters live and mobsters rule. Gentlemen. What you see before you, this sleeping giant swathed in bandages that I have named Frankie, what your eyes see are four dead men. What the hell? A mad scientist created a better mobster, the Frankenstein mobster. Adapted from the graphic novel written and illustrated by Mark Wheatley. Get down, Yasmini. They can't get shooting at us. I, I can't see. Who, who is that hanging out the cop car window? One of him. And better than 20 oh. of us. It seems I'm neither a monster or mobster. Stop! He helped Jerry! See this? Is that what I think it is? Talisman? I didn't get you one. I got sauces. Well, they're illegal. They... It's a good luck charm. And the illegal good luck charm. Cars. How the hell did you get tipped off about this? Are you okay? I think so. Can you run? I think so. Run! Original music score and sound design by Jennifer Rouse. Adapted, written, and directed by Mark Redfield. 